This is Plant-Based Briefing. What is food sovereignty? Three steps for taking back ownership of our food. By Isabel Liu at the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies at nutritionstudies.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, host of this curated content plant-based podcast. For people short on time, but interested in plant-based, vegan, and eco-friendly living, I searched the internet for some of the best content on a variety of topics related to all of the reasons to be plant-based and vegan. Get permission and share them with you here in about 10 minutes or less every weekday. And today's post is from the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies, a nonprofit whose mission is to promote optimal nutrition through science-based education, advocacy, and research. It was established to extend the impact of Dr. Campbell's life-changing research findings, as outlined in the best-selling book, The China Study. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. What is food sovereignty? Three steps for taking back ownership of our food. By Isabel Liu at nutritionstudies.org. The following is an article from the Community Grants Food is Political series. I'd like to think that I have freedom over my food choices. At my local grocery store, I can pick and purchase whole plant foods that align with my health and ethical values. I can choose organic produce to avoid added pesticides and buy from brands that seem to be supporting the little guys. I can feel like I'm voting with my dollars and supporting a sustainable food system. You might feel the same freedom of choice yourself. But this could not be farther from the truth. In reality, 10 corporations control almost all the global food supply. We once lived in local communities where small farmers grew and sold native crops to each other. This type of food system relied on synergy between humans, the soil, and the animals living among us. For example, Native Americans would grow corn, squash, and beans together because these three crops supported each other and replenished the soil. Later, as a result of forced assimilation into the American way of life, Native American children were punished for practicing their traditions and this knowledge was lost. Today, a handful of global corporations control what to grow, how to grow it, and how to distribute it to people. What does it matter if there are only a few corporations that provide us with food? Can we not still rely on them to feed us well? The more expansive our production, processing, and distribution operations become, the more malignant are the consequences when things go awry. Earth did not evolve to naturally produce massive amounts of any one particular crop in concentrated areas, but that's what is happening. In the United States, over 90 million acres of land are used to grow grains, 95% of which are corn. Most of our food is grown in similar monocultures. These large-scale productions are more vulnerable to diseases and pests, which can be detrimental to our national food supply. When there is an E. coli outbreak affecting romaine lettuce, all products are pulled from shelves across the U.S. Chickens, cows, and pigs forced into concentrated animal farming operations, or CAFOs, produce national outbreaks of salmonella, E. coli, and swine flu, the H1N1 virus. Our society increasingly resides in highly concentrated urban environments that are completely dependent on corporations bringing in food, similar to a human CAFO. Our current food system is unsustainable. Many cities like Denver, Colorado, would only have enough food for two days if the national food system collapses. 
While some local economies are more self-sufficient, none are completely independent from the national food system, not yours and not mine. While there may be some differences between communities, the vulnerability of the food system has endemic consequences. We are just one global catastrophe away from a food crisis, and we can't effectively vote with our dollars if there is only one party on the ballot at the grocery store. We need to start taking back ownership of our food. We must become food sovereign. What is food sovereignty? According to the U.S. Food Sovereignty Alliance, food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. How can you free yourself from our current food system and become more sovereign? Number one, learn more about food sovereignty. Educating ourselves about the importance of land, seeds, and food is the first step in taking action. Learn about how Native Americans are saving their seeds and their culture. Linked here. Number two, buy and plant native foods. Find a local farmers market and pick up varieties of produce you might not have heard about. Hubbard squash, muscadine grapes, pawpaw fruits are all native to North America and haven't been commercialized by corporations. Thinking of starting a backyard garden? Find a local seed bank community linked here to get some heirloom seeds and support fellow growers. And number three, relearn your own culture. After moving to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I discovered Transplanting Traditions Community Farm, owned by Burmese refugees. They sell vegetable species that my mom cooked for me growing up, that I didn't have access to in college. Long beans, Chinese eggplant, and bitter melons have reconnected me to my identity as an Asian American. Are there foods you've forgotten about because they were absent from your local grocery store? The anxiety many of us felt racing to grocery stores for food when COVID-19 cases spiked in America foreshadows what's to come if we don't start decentralizing our food system. Our communities must reclaim our rights to land, seeds, and food. As Michael Brownlee put it, the global food system has itself become the greatest threat to humanity's being able to feed itself. You just listened to "What Is Food Sovereignty: Three Steps for Taking Back Ownership of Our Food" by Isabel Liu at NutritionStudies.org, and I'm Marian Erickson, your host. And this is a relatively new concept or topic for me. I first became aware of it with the first lockdowns and food shortages at the beginning of COVID in early 2020. My husband and I have since amped up our gardening skills and shop regularly at our local farmers market. And just recently subscribed to a CSA box service from a local farm. And that's an idea I got from Brigitte Jem at veganfamilykitchen.com. And you can listen to her post in episode number 240, where she talks about the pros and cons of CSA boxes, and one of the benefits being supporting and sustaining local agriculture. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes as well. And I had never heard about local seed bank communities until reading this post. And they provide a link to see if you have any near you, and lo and behold, we have one nearby. It's called a seed library, and it's at the public library, and it's a place where community members can go to pick out seeds that they plan to grow at no cost to them, and in exchange, they allow some of those seeds to go to seed. 
properly save those seeds and then return them in labeled packages to the seed library. And even if you're unable to harvest the seeds, it's not a problem. They simply ask that you bring in fresh, high-quality seed donations to help replenish the inventory. And store-bought seeds are also welcome. Anyway, if you want to see if there are local seed bank communities near you, the site linked in the original post is communityseednetwork.org. There's a map that shows all the seed networks around the world. And if you'd like to support the podcast, the simplest way is to share it with others and recommend it on your social media. Also, please be sure to follow or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to it as well. And thank you so much for listening.